Welcome to the Gaggle Podcast, where we bring you inside the newsroom to talk Arizona politics beyond what's in print. I'm Michael Squires, the politics editor at the Arizona Republic and azcentral.com. Joining me at our Arizona Capitol Bureau this week are Dustin Gardner, I cover the state legislature. Dan Nowicki, national political reporter. Yvonne Winget Sanchez, governor's office state politics reporter. This week on the gaggle, the Arizona legislature gets underway with its 2018 session. And hanging over it all are many allegations of sexual harassment and a culture of sexism. And later we'll discuss Joe Arpaio and his announcement this week that he's running for the U.S. Senate. But we start with Governor Doug Ducey delivering his State of the State address. Yvonne, you were there. This is the last one of his first term. What did he have to say? What were the big takeaways, you would say, from that? It seemed as though he, he early on really tried to set the tone that sexual harassment, sexism will not be tolerated. He invoked the names of, um, you know, very well-known Arizona leaders um, who he said, you know, blazed a trail for women years ago, and they didn't do it, quote, for women in the year 2018 to face discrimination, misogyny, or harassment. Uh pretty strong words from a governor who rarely says such strong words. Uh, and then, you know, he, he talked a lot about, well, somewhat about his education funding priorities, um, his uh, desire to see a special session to fight the opioid uh, problem, plaguing not just Arizona, but, uh, but the country. He talked about uh, investing in a, a program to enhance efforts to stop wrong way drivers uh, you know, a lot of stuff in there that it was really tough for anyone to argue with, which I'm sure was designed that way. And why do you say that? Why would he try to be kind of delivering a speech that didn't have much in it that's controversial? Although I can't really recall him ever being that controversial in the state of the state, but particularly this year, why are you saying that? He's up for re-election, and he clearly didn't want to give uh, his rivals material to attack him with. And it seemed as though, you know, there's a lot of mention about women and, and f- women's contributions from Sonoran governor on down. She was on the, she was his guest on the floor um, of the house. He, he seemed to really try to make a pitch to moderate women from all parties and non-parties uh, and really try to appeal to them. They have made differences in, in Senate races across the, across the country. So I, I think he's going to be looking uh, to them, perhaps his numbers are a little soft there to, you know, carry him into a second term. Plus, he has the luxury of that. He doesn't have a Republican challenger. He doesn't have anyone, you know, on his right flank right. saying he's not conservative enough. Correct. So let's drill down on a couple of these things. And Dustin, feel free to jump in. The The education funding proposal, he, he said he wants to restore some of the cuts that came about during the recession when the state had a huge hole in its budget and had to fill it. And some of those uh, things were done with education. What's he planning to do there? Where's the money going to come from to do that? I don't think he's specifically said where it's going to come from. He's just said it's going to come from the state budget. And he has asked his cabinet members to find savings in their uh, agencies that could be used for education funding. Uh, he's pledged what he'd like to see is $100 million this year and more in the years uh, forward. Previously, he has mentioned that he would like to also see a renewal and potentially an expansion of Proposition 301, the education uh, funding initiative. There was no mention of that uh, measure in this um, speech, which uh, was a disappointment to Democrats and some of uh, public education uh, critics. And so, um, you know, he he did say during his speech that 80 percent of his funding priorities uh, are dedicated to public education 
given his rhetoric the last year when he talked about teacher pay raises and, and some of his other education uh, priorities, people's expectations were set at a different uh, standard and then he released his numbers and there was just it, it was just in many people's minds a joke and so I think they were trying to not set expectations with this speech and we'll see Friday what you know if, if he's really going to back up some of these promises with with real dollars so Dustin I mean like fewer the people who would oppose more money for schools if you don't have to raise taxes to do it which is what the governor's proposing but what did you hear from lawmakers as they res- responded to the speech and and that piece of it in particular. Yeah, I mean, even before the governor started speaking, and there was a lot of skepticism from Democrats that it would be um, lip service in their words. You know, they said that, 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 that they've gotten four years of lip service from the governor on education funding, and they were expecting more of the same. Um, and, you know, over the weekend, we saw thousands of people come out um, for a rally um, opposing the governor's stance on school vouchers last year and demanding more funding for education. Um, so there was, yeah, just a lot of skepticism of people who said they felt like, you know, he was going to say the sort of things they'd want to hear, but they really want to see the details before they can judge it. With the referendum on the school, on the ESA, the school voucher program, that crowd has been behind that, has been very opposed to a lot of the things that the governor has done because he supported that specifically on education. Did you feel like this gave them something to rally around against Ducey or were they kind of like, yeah, we didn't hear everything we wanted, but you know. They're coming out swinging. I, I was not at the press conference, but this is not enough for them. And they have said that if Ducey refuses to address Prop 301 this year, they're going to try to do it themselves. They're going to have to get those signatures quickly. As we've seen from this group, they're able to do it. We'll see if they actually um, launch something on their own. If they do, that will be yet another rebuke on on this governor who already is seen as weak on public education. So just if, if you're not familiar, the Prop 301 is the sales tax that goes dedicated to education, but is scheduled to expire. There's been some talk of not only renewing it, but maybe increasing it so it would bring in more money for schools. And, and, and renewing it. I think it expires in 2021. Ducey, I think, has said he would like to see uh, something done on this uh, measure in 2020 after his re-election. So uh, on the opioid concurrent special session, number one, why have a special session to do it? And number two, what what is he going to do or what does he want to do? With a concurrent special session, it allows lawmakers to really tackle and address an, one particular issue head on. So they theoretically, very quickly can address it if they wanted to. They could do it in as few as three days, um, hold quick hearings, get the measures passed, get it to the governor, get it signed, and he can claim a win quickly. He doesn't have to wait for the budget to get done. He doesn't have to wait for sign he die. He doesn't have to wait for all the typical things that come with the, with the typical regular session. So I believe that is designed to get him that quick win and a good headline. Um, but also in their view, you know, this is something that resonates with a lot of people who've been touched by drug abuse. Uh, in fact, during our gov- in our interview with the governor, he said his own extended family has been touched by this issue. And um, one of the big, uh, the big takeaways, I think for me, was that he wanted to go after just these bad actors who were prescribing millions of pills. We've seen the story coming out of Mojave County where like two doctors or a handful of doctors have prescribed just four million pills alone. Those are the types of people that I think he wants to focus on. The question is, 
Well, what is he going to do and what is, what's the legislature going to do that isn't already being done by the county attorneys and the attorney general? So taking a little longer lens at this, I mean, I can, I can recall when uh, candidate Ducey was at his first debate and, and kind of rolling out his initial programs. And among his ideas was to do away with the state income tax. Here we are four years in. Does anyone talk about that, or is that uh, a sort of a forgotten promise? Well, I asked him about it during our one-on-one. I said, hey, whatever happened to that? And he said, well, as I said, Yvonne, is going to take a couple of terms, and I'm going to try, but we're going to do it incrementally. And uh, he, did, he, did, he did promise that. But he, you know, he has tried in some fashion to to do this with different segments of the you know state's population every year but it really amounts to peanuts now they would say well not to these veterans or not to these poor families this is a lot of money and we're just a bunch of elites for criticizing them for not doing enough as i say as i jump into my limousine um so what as you look at the speech what is like the thing that you're going that you think at the end of the session you look back and say well yeah yeah he really threw down a marker there and here we are with the policy in hand. Is there anything in that speech? Education funding. Yeah, I mean, that'll be the big one. One of the ones that struck me was how little he actually talked about water. You know, we heard for months and months that that was his big priority. There were all these closed door, big meetings about it. Um, but then, you know, yesterday in his re- all of his recent comments, the governor has just kind of, you know, very generally said the state needs one voice on water. Um, so I'm kind of wondering if we're going to look back and see that maybe that was a signal that water is not, there's not going to be much movement on water policy this year. But that's just, you know, maybe prediction on my part. I think we'll probably see these conversations continue. I think maybe early on they had higher expectations about what they could accomplish. And then once they kind of got into these details, they began to see just how sticky and tricky it is. So I think if even one of the items uh, from their action plan you know, uh, the, the well metering, for example, if even they get that, that would be seen as a big win for them. Dustin, so you've reported extensively on allegations of sexual harassment at the Capitol and the broader culture of of sexism there. And there have been allegations against Don Shooter, lawmaker, uh, that he's been responsible for some of this. That's been basically the only name, I think, named. Am I wrong? Well, Shooter has in turn accused uh, Michelle Eugenti Rita of of various issues, um, but those those two are the only lawmakers that have been named in accusations. But anyway, it, it sort of sets kind of an awkward tone, I would guess, at the outset of the session. How, how did it play out on Monday? Um, you know, from the get-go, it played out pretty dramatically. Um, when Speaker J.D. Mesnard took the floor on the first day of the legislature, one, one of the big points he made was that that harassment wouldn't be tolerated in the chamber. Um, he said that, you know, we've all got to be better men um, than Doug Ducey in the state of this uh, state of the state. He addressed it again. Then on the second day of the legislature, Tuesday, lawmakers began their mandatory harassment and sensitivity training. Um, and basically in the first couple of minutes of that training, Representative Don Shooter rose to make a point of personal privilege and gave a pretty lengthy, emotional, tearful speech on the floor apologizing for some instances and then at the same time accusing, um, I guess without naming her, uh, saying that 
Michelle Ugenti Rita had lied and that her accusation was false uh, and was motivated by some sort of uh, political vendetta. Um, and he said some, he said several accusations against him were false, but then he went on to say that others were sincere and that he hadn't realized he had offended women um, and also a man. We don't know who that man was, but he apparently also said something that had, uh, that had offended a man at some point. Um, so overall, this is a very dramatic scene. Yvonne, you and Dustin talked to about 40 people about the broader culture there. As you had those conversations, were, were people thinking things could change? I mean, I know that's that's what uh, you know J.D. Mesnar wants to happen, and that's what the governor's calling on them to do. But was there optimism that would happen? I think with some people there was optimism, and that, quite honestly, was the reason they decided to talk with us, is that, well, you know, maybe these guys will change their behavior. Um, other took other people took a different view. I think some of them thought that this was kind of going to be a passing thing once this this died down and and the media moved on to something else. Another crisis emerged uh, that you know things would kind of resume as the status quo. Um, I think there it was j- broad consensus that this is an issue that is much bigger than Don Shooter and Michelle Eugenti Rita. This is an issue um, that lobbyists have been dealing with for for decades, but seems to have gotten worse, particularly under the leadership of former Representative Dave Gowan, uh, according to the people that we talked to. And it, you know, I think there seems to be a lack of ideas of how to fix it beyond getting people to stop outwardly touching people and making lewd remarks. I I did have one Republican moderate lawmaker approach me yesterday and she wanted to know like, hey, can we start a study session? Can we, like, what what can we do? Asking me if I had ideas based on the conversations that I had with people. What can we do to tap into what you guys were able to tap into? Help, can you help me fix this? And, you know, it's like, I don't know where they go from here. I do know that one investigation is not going to fix this more systemic problem. Well, Dustin, you've reported on J.D. Mesnar trying to have a policy in place that's that's clear, that people know this is the structure to report to, and when you report, this is what will be done. Does that solve the problem? Yeah, I mean, so there is now formal policy in place in both the Senate and the House. The Senate already had a policy. The House has a new one. Um, but I think, you know, at least in the House... The membership is a really long ways away from coming to a consensus on these issues. Um, when you know Don Shooter gave his apology on the floor Tuesday, he started with a joke, essentially, essentially saying that he's that he's sorry that everyone had to come together for this, or that you know they can blame him for bringing everyone you know everyone ha- everyone having to get together for mandatory harassment training. Um, and you know, and then even during the training, there was a pretty fierce debate between some of the members. Um, Shooter and other Republicans argued that there should be a statute of limitations, basically putting time limits on um, when victims of harassment um, or you know workplace discrimination can file their complaints. And that drew a pretty emotional response from some Democrats, particularly Democratic women. Um, so while there is a policy in place, I think the chamber is still a long ways away from kind of having that cultural. Um, conversation that it, that some people want them to have. Well, and, and we talk about lawmakers, but what about lobbyists? I mean, lo- lawmakers elected, they're you know they they have a job, thanks to the voters. But a lobbyist, they depend on trying to curry favor, and as you noted in your story, are in a much more vulnerable position. 
does this give them any greater voice or recourse than they've had in the past? Not that I'm aware of. I mean, really, it all comes back to sunshine. So Dan, uh, Joe Arpaio announced this morning he's running for U.S. Senate. What do you think of that? Well, that's right. Like after years of, of teasing possible runs for the Senate and for the governor's uh, job, and even I think Eric would call him toying with the idea of maybe running for president one time, he actually went ahead and actually pulled the trigger on a bid for higher office. Uh, you know, a lot of skepticism still about, you know, his intentions in this race. Jeff Flake was t telling reporters he doesn't buy it. He doesn't think he's in there for the long haul. There's you know speculation that maybe this is some kind of a tactic to get raise some money for his legal bills. But nonetheless, he is uh, in the race. He seemed to take pleasure in pointing out to all the naysayers in the media that seemed to be you know maybe part of his, his point in doing this. Uh, he told me uh, I get to burst your bubble. You know after. <laughs> I'm actually doing this. I'm not joking around. So he's in the race, at least for now. Uh, Kelly Ward, uh, her campaign put out a statement and another sign that, that maybe they're wondering how real this is. They basically used the occasion to praise Arpaio, welcomed him to the race, and then went ahead and attacked Martha McSally, who's expected to get in the race soon uh, on the establishment side of the GOP. So I guess we could say Donald Trump also was a guy who was always saying he was going going to run and never did until he did. and Right, and uh, obviously uh, Arpaio has a relationship with Trump. He says that uh, he's not spoken with him, but I would guess that he will try to get uh, the Trump endorsement just as Kelly Ward has been trying to get it. So Yvonne, what are you watching for at the state capitol this week? Additional stories about uh, women who feel as though they may have been um, sexually harassed. Something to watch for. Dan? I'm going to take a closer look at this emerging Joe Arpaio candidacy. Dustin, you'll be at the Capitol. What are you watching for? Still watching sexual harassment. There was a pretty heated debate about the idea um, of having some sort of time limitations, statute of limitations on complaints. That was debated on the House floor today. So I think we're going to see more of that when they revisit their training next week. How to keep some of the skeletons still in the closet <laughs> as they come tumbling out. That's it for today. Thank you for listening to the Gaggle Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at MG Squires. At Dustin Gardner, Gardner with an I. You can follow me at Yvonne Winget. I'm Dan Nowicki at Dan Nowicki, just like my byline. Thanks to the politics team. Our production team is Jojo Huckaba and Haley Sanchez. Please subscribe to the show and review it on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or Google Play. See you next week.